we're looking at Job chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. One day, the heavenly beings came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him on the earth a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still persists in his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him for no reason. Then Satan answered the Lord, skin for skin, all that people have they will give to save their lives. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well, he is in your power, only spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and inflicted loathsome sores on Job, from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Job took a potsherd with which to scrape himself and sat among the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still persist in your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as any foolish woman would speak. Shall we receive the good at the hand of God and not, dis not receive the bad? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Well, good morning, everybody. As we um, gather around the Lord's table, uh, what we do is we remember together with thanksgiving the death of Jesus Christ, our Lord. For those who have faith in Jesus Christ, is a very significant time. For us as a church, uh, this is perhaps our finest moment as we gather around the Lord's table and together corporately give thanks for his death and resurrection through which we are forgiven, through which we are set free, through which we are given new hope and life. So as we gather around this table and as we come to look at Job today and ask the question of why bad things happen to good people and as we wrestle with what might be going on in your life right now or in friends and family members, um, suffering you might be aware of in the world, the question must come to our minds is, does God understand suffering? Is he familiar with suffering? Does he, uh, is he aware of it? And I just thought as we came to this communion table this morning, what I might just do uh, very uh, quietly and with nothing else is just to read to you Isaiah 53. And uh, together as we reflect on this, remember that uh, the God who we serve sent his son, who is called a man of suffering, a man of sorrows. And uh, as we do this together, I'll just read it slowly, and you might just reflect on the fact that God is familiar with suffering, and he suffered so that you could come to know him. 
who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a, she- as a sheep before her shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants, for he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the Lord will prosper in his hands. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous service will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Isaiah 53 says, God knows what suffering's about. In fact, his son suffered so your sin could be paid for, so you could come to know him and have eternal life through a personal relationship with Jesus. And as we come to take this meal, that's what we say thank you for. And as we come, let's pray together as Warren leads us in prayer. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we take this time this morning to come before you, Lord, and give thanks. And remember that you sent your son for us. You sent Jesus, who was pure and holy, and Jesus, who was without sin, to live with us.
And Lord, you sent him to die for us, the, the Lamb of God, the Son of God, to be hung on that cross, to suffer the pain and to suffer the death, and for each and every one of us, for each and every one of us here. And Father, he died so that we can be forgiven. Father, each of us here today, no matter how hard we try, no matter what our walk is with you, we fall down in some way, we sin and need forgiveness. And Father, through your death on the cross and through your resurrection, we receive that forgiveness and we give thanks. Lord, as we take this bread, we remember your body given for us. And as we take this cup, we remember your blood shed for us. And Lord, we know the sacrifice you made for us here today. And we know that our sins are forgiven. And we know that we have a relationship with you and that we can live a full and rich lives in our walk with you. So, Father, we give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder if you could open your Bibles to Job uh, chapter 2. That would be great. We'll be looking through that today. Um, I don't know about you, but when I read Job, so Job, just book one book left to Psalms, if you're having trouble locating it. Um, Psalms is in the middle of the Bible. But as you read Job... I wonder whether there's a question that kind of jumps out at you, especially these first two chapters, um, because as I've read Job and as I've looked at the, at the first two chapters in particular, there's a question that keeps coming to my mind as I read it. And the question is, is, is God really good or not? Is he good or not? It's, it's amazing because as you look at the first two chapters, the question starts to run around in your head more and more as you start to read because the book of Job opens up in the very first section with explaining that Job was just about the most godly man you would ever meet. Job lived, uh, we think, in times where the, when the patriarchs lived, uh, way back at Abraham, Isaac and Jacob around that time. And uh, he was a man who was very, very godly. Look what it says in verse 1. It says, this man was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. Uh, it tells us straight up the kind of character that Job was. And it appears that because of Job's godliness and his character... God blessed him. Like, look at that first, first verses there. It says that he had heaps of cattle, heaps of servants, and he had heaps of children as well. Seven boys and three girls. And it appears that anyone in those days who looked at Job would look at him and say, he is blessed because he loves God. Uh, it says that um, Job was well known. His reputation right throughout the region was well known. Look what it says at the end of verse 3. He was the greatest man among all the people in the East. So if you haven't got it so far, Job was a godly man. 
There's no question about it. You can't be confused. Job was a godly man. Now, what we all know is that good things happen to good people. I mean, it just goes without saying. The Bible says that. Proverbs often talks about the blessings that comes to those who fear the Lord. You know, but look at this verse. Proverbs 28, 18. Listen to this. It says, He whose walk is blameless is kept safe, but he whose ways are perverse will suddenly fall. You know, Proverbs constantly talks about, you know, putting your trust in God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and that those who follow him, God will take care of and and bless. So Psalm 1 catches that up too. You know, it says in Psalm 1 uh, that for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So, so far, the book of Job is making complete sense to us. Job? Godly man, very godly. Also, very well looked after by God. Blessed, lots of property, everything. And then Gail shared with us last week how it all came apart as as we looked at verse 1. We we move from looking about Job and looking at who he was as a, a person and on earth and his godliness to another scene in heaven which is repeated in both chapters 1 and chapters 2. And in chapter 1, we see that what happens is there's God and the angels and Satan and God brings up Job and he affirms that Job is a very godly man. He says, there's no one like him on the earth. This is verse 8. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Wouldn't you love to have that said about you? You know, Look down there at Jonathan. He, there's no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright. You would think that would put you in a great position with God, wouldn't it? But I'm not so sure because look what happens to Job. His righteousness leads to this discussion. Satan asks, do you fear, does, does Job fear God for nothing? He says, you, you've put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has. You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land, but stretch out your hand and strike everything that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. And you know what shocks us as we read? We expect God to say, I would never do that to my chosen godly people. I care for those who love me. I protect them. I surround them with my love and my goodness and my comfort. But what shocks us as we read is that uh, all this, what we take for granted, that God looks after good, that good things happen to good people, it sort of comes unraveled in our minds and it says, it seems to be reversed, the way we understand how God is supposed to work. God says, very well then, everything he has is in your hands to Satan. But on the man himself, don't lay a finger. And the results of God saying this to Satan are devastating. And, and Gail explained that last week, how he just lost so many material blessings, cattle taken off, servants killed, his own flesh and blood, his sons and daughters. A freak wind comes, the house collapses, and every single one of his children 
are dead. And he hears all about this all at the one time. What a shocking thing to happen. And for you and I, as we get this insight into this godly, uh, this kind of heavenly discussion, the question comes up, God, what's going on? Are you really good? Uh, Isn't God supposed to look after Job, especially when he's uh, kept his integrity and done all of those things? And because he you know, is constantly offering sacrifices to God and love. Isn't he supposed to be like that? And then as we go into chapter 2, our, our question keeps coming up even further because the same thing happens. On another day, it says, the, the heavenly discussions take place again. And God uh, talks, uh, says to Satan, you know, have you noticed Job? Have you seen him? Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him on earth. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And then he says, and he still maintains his integrity, even though you enticed me against him to ruin him without any reason. So God says to Satan, you know, you, you said that I could, you know, that you could attack uh, Job to try and prove something, but you were proved that that didn't work because it didn't prove that he was going to stop his faith. So that was a waste of time. It was without reason. And then this is when Satan says, well, skin for skin. I think what he's saying here is, uh, you know, it's a very hard sort of phrase to understand, but it seems it's saying you can take possessions from someone, but if you, you know, go what's beneath the skin or affect the actual person, Then he will give up his faith in you, God. Look what he says. Skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all he has for his own life, but stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. And again, our shock and our surprise at this God who up to now we've thought he he is good and he looks after those who do good things. God says in verse 6, Very well. He's in your hands, but you must spare his life. And you know from the reading that we had earlier on in the service that immediately the consequences are devastating to Job. Uh, He went out from the presence of the Lord. Satan went out and afflicted Job with sores from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. So we're talking under armpits, you know, in nostrils. We're talking about every single place that you can think boils on him. Now, there's lots of doctors that have tried to look at the book of Job and figure out what he has. And um, I'm sure many of the doctors here today will give you some ideas. But the, the end of the problem is that he had boils all over him that were incredibly painful from the soles of his feet to the top of his head. And they caused him pain. And we want to see because of this, you know, Satan and God conversation, Job went from being this man that was the greatest among all the people of the East to a man who's outside of his village on the ash heap. And it says he's got pottery, broken pottery, and he's scraping the sores with broken pottery and then people think that the ash heap is the equivalent of like the the dump the garbage dump and the reason he'd be out there is because he would just be 
intolerable to the people inside the city and what, not want him near them. And so now he's isolated away from people out where the lepers are with broken pottery and he's scraping it on him because he's got sores from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. And you know, in the next sort of passage, which we're not going to look at today, but just in the next few verses, it says that when his friends came and saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognise him. Uh, Job looked nothing like he did before, unrecognisable because of all this. And the question comes up again and says, God, are you really good? Are you really good? In the midst of all this, Job, out, out away from that, on the dump heap with this, his wife comes to him, the one who he had obviously loved and got so much support and comes and says, Job, you're still holding on to your integrity. What are you doing trying to act all in, full of integrity? Curse God and die. Stop trying to be all pious. Give in. Curse God and let him just strike you dead. It would be easier for that to happen. Now, we don't know. A lot of people have written a lot about what she was actually saying in there. But you can imagine a wife who has just watched her children uh, die, who have lost all that she has as well. She's suffering greatly. And then she sees her own husband. She might have been grieving for what had happened and just wanting him to die to be end of all the pain. Or maybe she was saying, Job, you're bringing all this on yourself by acting all righteous. You must have sinned. We don't know. But all we do know is that in the midst of all this, this adds to Job's affliction and his suffering. And the question says, that comes to my mind, is God, are you really good? Why would you allow such suffering to someone who is good? I wonder about you this morning. Have you ever wondered why? Have you ever wondered why something happened to you in your life? Perhaps you, you've said to God, God, why am I facing this suffering, this pain, this sickness, when all I've ever done, God, is sought to love you and to serve you? God, all I've ever done is tried to be faithful to you. You may have cried out in the midst of your suffering, God, where are you now? Where are you? You're supposed to care for me, God. Are you really good? You might uh, say, where were you when I was abused and hurt, when I was just a child and there was no one to protect me? You might say, why did you let me suffer abuse from my husband for so many years without helping? Where were you when the loved one that I had was killed tragically and taken from me? Why did I have to end up with this sickness, this diagnosis, this suffering, when all I've ever done, God, is just tried to love you the best I can? God, are you really good? If there's one thing I just want you to know this morning, if there's just simply one time when you might switch on and listen to a little bit and then switch off again, this is the moment to switch on, okay? Because I believe that these, these passages, in, instead of at first reading seeming that God is not good, 
I, I think these passages show that God is good and he delights in the faithfulness of his people. Let, let me just say that again in case you're drifting off a little bit. God is good and he delights in the faithfulness of his people. So if we have a look at the scriptures again, I, I want you to see that God is good and he loved Job. He really loves Job. I mean, have a look. He took great delight in Job. I want you to really notice as you look at the passage how much he was interested in his life. In both chapters 1 and chapters 2, he says, have you noticed my servant Job? You know, the phrase, my servant, is a phrase that's designated to someone who has a special relationship with God. It's for, it's for those who know God in a personal way. And so God is saying to Satan, have you noticed my servant, Job? He's proud of him. He, he loves the way he is faithful to God. He loves the way that he's loyal in service. God says, to Satan, there's no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. He maintains his integrity, though you enticed me against him to ruin him without any cause. I want you to notice how God is systematically going through the great things about Job in his life. Do you notice that? He's blameless. He shuns evil. He's interested. And for you... I just want you to notice that because as God loves Job and his faithfulness, for you who are seeking to love and to honour God in your life, yet find yourself in suffering, God sees your faithfulness. He sees the way you seek to walk in a blameless way, an upright way. He sees every time you put your faith in him, God is looking for people who are faithful to him in the midst of suffering. And when you are, he delights in that. God is good. He loves you. And he delights in the faithfulness that you show him. It's what he's looking for in his, in his character, in his followers. So the first thing, God is good. He loved Job. And whatever you're facing, he loves you too. He's interested. He's observing. The second thing, God God is good and he's in control. So in the midst of your um, kind of suffering that you face and in the midst of what we see here, no matter how hard it gets, no matter how much it seems out of control, I want you to notice that in this passage today, God is in control. Did you notice what God says to Satan when he allows Satan to have his way with Job? He puts some qualifications on. Did you notice that? Like He he says to him things like uh, in in chapter 1, verse 12, do not lay a finger on the man himself. Okay, so he's saying you can do anything with all his goods and things like this and everything like that, but don't lay a finger on the man on the man himself. And in chapter 2, he says there in verse 6, he's in your hands, but you must spare his life. And I think this shows that God is in control. Satan is not given free reign. 
it's not like there's Satan and God and they're fighting together like this, you know, and, and they're equal partners. God is sovereign and Satan must operate within his, what he allows him. So that means any suffering that you face now, any suffering that you uh, are aware of is faced before God. It's faced before him. He knows about it. He's in control. And he allows the suffering, but only so much in Job. And he will allow you to suffer, but it's not just random. God's in control and he knows what he's doing. Job saw all the things that happened to him, I want you to notice, as being from God's hand. He didn't blame people. He didn't have a go from anyone else. He didn't start to you know, say, oh boy, this was unlucky or if that sinful person or if that thing. Job says in verse 10 of chapter 2, shall we accept good from God and not trouble from God? You know, in, in these times he's saying, I've chosen to follow you. My faith is not based on whether you allow me to suffer or whether you allow me to prosper. I've chosen to follow you. And God loves it. God loves it. God is good and he delights in the faithfulness of his people. So when Job acknowledges that God is in control and that he trusts him, even though everything's falling around him, God delights in his faithfulness. The third thing that God is good and he has a purpose. I want you to see that in these, um, pa- this passage. He has a purpose and we, we can see it, the readers, but Job has no idea what the purpose is. We're let in onto the, in, onto the secret that there's a conversation going on that Job is completely unaware of. And so Job, without any knowledge of that, can only go by what he's, he, he understands. But we see, as we're led into this, that God is having a conversation with Satan. And the purpose of his suffering is to show that Job's faith was real and not just because of what God gave him or the protection that he had. It comes back to that chapter 1 and verse 9 where, where he says, does God, Satan says, does, does Job fear God for nothing? You know, you've protected him. You've made everything perfect in his life and you're only looking after him because he's good to you. But if you stop looking after him, he would lose his faith. And we can see that God is wanting to say, I'm going to show you that Job's faith is not based on the things that I do for him. There's a purpose in it. Wouldn't you love to know the purpose in all the suffering that we face. I mean, Job never knew it once. So he had to go by what he understood about God. And he just accepted that there must be some purpose. We'll accept good from God. We'll accept bad from God. Also, if you notice at the end of verse one, he, chapter 1, he says, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. Uh, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. He kind of said, you know what? I, I, I got some things when I came into this world. I got all these good things. But God is someone who's in control. He has a purpose. And I'm not going to just say if he chooses to give me these things, he's good. If he chooses to take them away, he's bad. Praise his name no matter what. 
there's purpose in your suffering. You might not know what it is. We might never know on this earth what it is until we go to be with him. But we can know for sure that God is good and he has a purpose. We can know that God is ultimately working for your good. Romans 8.28 says, All things work together for good for those who love the Lord. And the challenge for you and I this morning is to act out on the truth that God is good and he delights in the faithfulness of his people. In this passage, God has shown that he's good. He loved Job. He's in control and that he has a purpose. And I wonder this morning as we think about how this can apply to your life, what you and I can do as a result of this truth this morning, that God is good and he loves and delights when his followers follow him in spite of the suffering that they face in their life. What can you do this week as you go to live that truth in your life? I want to say that there's three things this week that you can do in the midst of your suffering. You could admit that you don't know it all. Simple as that. Admit that you don't know it all. Just like Job, we don't know the heavenly conversations that are going on. So just say to God, you know, God, in the midst of the suffering, I don't know why. I don't have the answers. I'm limited. I'm not able to know all that's going on, God. Just admit that. The second thing I think is acknowledge that God does. God, you know everything else that's going on. You know the things that are happening, even though I don't. You are sovereign. You are all-knowing. You are in control. You are good. And the final thing, I think, is to agree between you and God that you will praise him in the midst of the storm, that no matter what comes your way, you'll praise him. I remember my grandfather, I've told you about him many times. He used to say some some profound things, but one thing that really stuck into my mind was uh, I was walking just to his house where we were just having, we'd just open the Bible and he'd speak to me from the Bible just as we sat over coffee. And I remember walking into his house one day and there was a guy just in the road playing with his own little son. And he said to me, he he used to say some profound things, so I think he knew he was saying profound things. And he sort of said to me, Jonathan, he said, look, see that man holding his son? He said, all it takes is a few more tragedies in that guy's life and he could be killing that very son that he's holding. I remember being shocked by that statement, thinking, Granddad, what are you saying? But I suppose the question that comes today is, how much would it take for you to lose your faith? How many, how many tough things? How many difficult situations? And God is looking through this world for people like you and people like me and he delights when he sees one like us who will praise him in the storm, who will praise him in the midst of suffering and say, God, I will praise you no matter what. And every painful step that you take to trust him when your heart is aching. Every painful step that you take to to praise him when you feel like crying, 
every painful step that you take to keep going on when you feel like running away and blaming him. He sees it and he delights in it. And he wants you not to be one that ends up getting worse through the suffering, but growing closer and closer to him through the way in which you respond. I want to ask you this morning, are you able to admit that you don't know it all this week? Are you able to acknowledge that God does? And are you willing to really agree before God to praise him in the storm? I think so many people, so many Christians set, are set back when sufferings come. Uh, it takes them many years to recover. And sometimes they take so long to even forgive God or to, or to work through. And I just want you to imagine what your life would be like if every trial that God brought in, every suffering that you faced on this earth, you use that as an opportunity to realise this is a moment where I can bring God much delight through praising him in the storm. This is a moment where I can get closer to God through praising him in spite of my circumstances. Can you imagine a church? I mean, churches go through life cycles like this, you know, when suffering comes or when someone gets, has a tragedy in their life or, or there's a moral failure or a change of pastor. You know, it's kind of up and down, up and down. Can you imagine a church that kind of said, are we just going to accept good things from the Lord and not bad? And when we do, will we choose to give praise to God for even the difficult things and in even the midst of the difficult things? Do you know what I think we'd start to see? A church that continues to prevail regardless of our sufferings and our hurts. This is a faith that goes beyond what God gives to me or the benefits that he gives to me. This is kind of like the agape love of marriage, that I will love you, God, even when I feel like there's suffering around me all the time that you're allowing I will love you even when I don't see the signs of you working incredibly in my life. I will praise you in the storm. This morning, as we close, why don't we just pray together? And uh, let's pray as many of you are right in the midst of the deepest suffering. And let's pray for strength to praise him in the storm. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are good. We thank you, God, that you are interested in our lives and that you love us. God, this morning, many of us are suffering very deeply. Some people here uh, in such profound ways that it often feel like nobody understands the pain that they're going through. And God, I pray that in this, this uh, time that they would know that you love them, that you're in control, and that every time they trust in you, you're delighted. You find great joy.
God, I pray that we would be those that continue to admit that we just have a limited view of what's going on in this world. You know everything, we don't. And God, in that lack of knowledge that we have, may we trust that you are good, that you're working out your purposes. And God, we pray that you would help us to be those that praise you on sunshiny days and on rainy days, on days when we feel that you're doing all the things that we're asking you to do, and on days when we feel like you're not. God, help us individually to be those that prevail in loving you no matter what our circumstances. God, as a church, we just long to be a church that continues to grow no matter what Satan might try and do, no matter what circumstances or tragedies befall us, that we would be those that say, God, we will accept all that you allow for us and we will keep loving you no matter what. Thank you, God. Hear our prayers and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So right now, in these moments, if you could just take your blue card. It's just in your news sheet and we'd just love you to spend a few moments responding.